1: and Missoula Sports Center.
0: With the National Championship football game on the horizon, the rivalry doubleheader for hoops has been pushed back a day. Happy New Year. I'm Coulter Nuanez. Montana State plays in the FCS national title game for the first time since 1984 in Frisco, Texas on Saturday. Because of that historic afternoon, the basketball doubleheader between Montana and Montana State originally scheduled for Saturday in Bozeman has been moved to Sunday. Lady Grizz and the Montana State women, each who got swept this past weekend, will look to bounce back with a Sunday matinee at 1 p.m. The men's teams will square off at 5 p.m. Sunday from Brick Breed and Fieldhouse. The North Dakota State-Montana State National Championship football game kicks off at 10 a.m. from Toyota Stadium in Frisco on Saturday. MSU also rescheduled its annual Bobcat Hall of Fame induction ceremony to be celebrated at a later date. Over the weekend, the Division I women's teams from the Treasure State hit a rough batch. Lady Grizz started the season 9-2, but they lost 68-61 at Idaho State Thursday and 66-56 at Weber State Saturday. The defending Big Sky champion Bengals of ISU beat Montana State on Saturday, two days after the Bobcats fell 68-63 at Weber State. The Montana men had an outstanding weekend, blasting Idaho State 78-54 before outlasting Weber State 74-72. Montana State lost 85-75 to Weber Thursday, but bounced back for a 60-40 win over Idaho State on Saturday. This ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Selway Armory. Time marches on.
1: is on the south moves north the north moves south a star is born a star burns out the only thing
2: that stays the same is everything
0: changes everything changes feeling in a country mood this tuesday i listen a lot of country music during my break I I know there's a lot of people out there that relate to me and a lot of people out there that think I'm really weird in the fact that I say that uh, oftentimes when I take time off, it's because I want to just go drive. (laughs) And uh, the only other vacation I took this year was in May and uh, went on a road trip out to the coast because sometimes I just like to drive and just be alone with my thoughts or be with somebody else and my thoughts, whatever. I like to listen to music, all that stuff. Very revitalizing. A little Tracy Lawrence for you. Here on a Tuesday. It's Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. I'm Coulter Nuanas, coming to you from the Northwest Motorsport Studio. Northwest Motorsport, new to town, new to Montana and Missoula, located here at the corner of Stevens and Mount in the Garden City. You can also find them online. Largest inventory of trucks anywhere in the Pacific Northwest. Visit NWMSRocks.com. Miss anything in the first hour of the show? You can find it. On the is Now podcast, which is proudly presented by SportsBet Montana, please rate, review, subscribe. Awesome! What you guys do with the podcast this year? Love it! Such good numbers. We love you who listen in any form or fashion, but particularly those who download and uh, subscribe to the podcast. So keep them coming. Keep the reviews coming. Keep the the uh, subscriptions coming, and uh, do yourself a favor too. Share it with some of your friends. I if you like it, I bet you they'll like it too. Give you something to talk about. Hour one in the books. Hour two coming at you. And we get hour two kicked off with our good friend Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Television Sports Director. And he is joining us here on Tuesday because he's hitting the road tomorrow. He's uh, usually off on Wednesdays, but Wednesday, a travel day, going to Frisco, Texas. And, Sean, we're going to get into uh, the game that is on the horizon Saturday between Montana state and North Dakota state. But I want to ask you first about the weekend that was because uh, I ran into at The Grizz basketball game It was the first time I think I ever seen you there without your camera in your hand. Cause you were hanging out with your boys and it seemed like they were having a great time as well. So, um, first of all, what's the experience like as a dad taking your kids to the game instead of just, you know, hauling the camera around and shooting all the highlights.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on. Uh, Hope you had a good Christmas and everything. Um, Yeah, it was awesome because... So my oldest is seven now, so he's starting to actually get into, like, the details. At first, like, they just wanted to go and... Have have popcorn or whatever, yeah. Yeah, and just, like, see Monty and do that kind of stuff. And, And obviously, they still like that part of it, too. But he was asking me, like, what's that clock that keeps going down from 35 to zero? Like, what does that mean? And how many... Like, why did they call foul on this and that. So it was fun being able to, like, sit next to him and explain the rules of the game. And then he would, you know, get all upset when Weber State would score and start cheering when the Grizz would score. So just being able to experience that. And then obviously having it be such a close game that I recorded the last play, and he was just freaking out with joy when the Grizz scored late. And so just to kind of see that, I mean, that's just, like, the purest thing about sports. Like, that's what it's all about. And to see... Your son kind of have that reaction, so it was just a really cool experience.
0: Yeah, it's so funny when you the kids the the things the kids say is just so funny too. I was watching the Montana State Idaho State men's game, uh, which tip was a one p.m. tip. I was up at my brother's house and uh, I was playing some Yahtzee with my with my nephew Ellis. He's five. He's he's getting into the counting and stuff. You know, he can hang on the Yahtzee a little bit. But we were also watching the game, and uh, it's just so funny the things that kids say. And he's only five, but he says. Uncle Coco, why does Idaho State play basketball so slow? <laughs> I was like, that is just, like, such good observation, man. Like, that's, like, high-level analysis. They do play really slow. That's crazy <laughs> that you noticed that. It's amazing what what, uh, what kids say. But, Sean, um, the, the girls' basketball team, um has gone through some growing pains the last couple years. And, uh, you know, I mean, Montana's growing pains are obviously relative to the rest of the league. Even when Montana's quote-unquote down and struggling, they're still in the top half of the league and, and they're still a threat to compete, if not win the Big Sky Tournament. Um, but to me, I thought Saturday, I thought this last weekend, actually, I thought the Grizz, Turned a little bit of a corner. I thought they looked a little bit better. And that's uh, particularly on Saturday. I thought that was a good win. I thought the team looked loose and confident. And I think they're starting to sort of see their rotations uh, fill out. And, and they're starting to get some role-role definition as well. Uh, but what do you think? Because I know you and I have texted a lot about this over the, over the last couple of years. Just how do they turn the corner and get back to where they were when they had those great teams that the the then so they turn Where are we at just overall with the Grizz right now about halfway through the year? It was interesting
1: because when I was watching the beginning of the Idaho State game, They went through a stretch where they were just playing five out and just letting their guards drive it, penetrate, kick out, move around. They weren't running any sets. They weren't methodical on offense. They were trying to push the ball and play the pace. And that's like like the longest stretch I think I've seen this version of the Grizz play without Coach Shakir kind of having his fingerprints on the offense and kind of running the sets going through it, looking for, like, the high-quality shot, not just, like, the first three that comes about. And I feel like they're going to kind of a more, you know, guard-heavy lineup and Coach is kind of becoming more okay with them just jacking up some threes. And I think it's letting them play a little bit more loose on offense. That's kind of the one thing that I noticed from this weekend. But then also, like, this team is just, you know, they're older, so they're a little bit better, and they're getting back to the ways of, look, Montana is... They're just, they're always going to be really tough at home. Yeah. And now that they're older and they're not young, they could beat anybody in the conference when they're at home. I want to see them, you know, be able to beat a Weaver State, a Southern Utah on the road, a Northern Colorado. Like once they start winning those kind of games on the road, then we could be like, okay, this team is kind of getting back to where they, they want to be, where they expect to be. But at home, it just kind of shows that, you know, Montana and Dalberg Arena. I think they have one of the longest home winning streaks in the country now. Um, they're just, uh, they're really good at home.
0: No question. It's, it's definitely uh, something that was missing last year, no question about it. And uh, I thought that was one of the best parts of the post game. You mentioned the, the game winning shot and Lano Martin hit kind of a, an acrobatic twister and, you uh, he had never, you know, like he was saying, he'd never played in front of crowds like there was on Saturday night. He'd always dreamt about it, and I think that was something that was so absent this last year. You know, you bring in guys that are new to the program, and so much of why they come to play at Montana is to play in front of big crowds and, and play in front of passionate fans, and not having that, I think, was was detrimental to the team and their mentality and and all that stuff. So it is. It's just good to have people back in the stands and, and all that. Um, and I think that the league, the way it's kind of shaking itself out here early, um, it would be interesting to see. Because I, I do think that Montana has a, a chance to, to really be more toward the top than they were the last two years. But I think there's still a lot to, to be determined in terms of his northern Colorado, the real deal, uh, his southern Utah. Can they parlay the momentum from a year ago? Are the Cats a contender or a pretender? I don't really know. Uh, I know it's probably a little too early to really ask this question. I'm sure I'll ask it to you a couple more times in the next month or so. But, I mean, do you think Montana has, has the ingredients, at least, to, to make a run and, and push towards a, another NCAA tournament?
1: I I mean, they, yes. They have the ingredients. Will it happen? Um, I would say it's you know more likely no than yes. But they certainly have the pieces. It's going to be... The conference tournament this year is going to be really fascinating because, yeah, you have, like, kind of the preseason favorites in, like, Southern Utah and Weber State, but, I mean, Montana State can beat anybody. Montana can beat anybody. Colorado can beat anybody. Um, I think it's – and I'm not going to be surprised if any of those teams end up making it. It's going to be an absolute dogfight. It's probably going to just be whoever's healthiest, honestly, um, when it comes down to it because it's going to be a wacky year. Um, I mean, the big sky just kind of changed some of their, you know, COVID policies. So hopefully that kind of helps things out a little bit. Obviously, a huge bummer that the, the women's brawl of the wild is postponed, but it, it's, it could come down to, to health and just whoever's playing hot at the end of the year. But they certainly have the talent and the pieces. And I, I think they're starting to figure things out. In the beginning of the conference, the rotations were a little wonky, like we were, like Kyle Omer's wasn't playing at all. Certain guys were the you didn't know if they were gonna play, you know, twenty minutes or no minutes. Now it seems like with Derek Carter Hollinger kind of in the starting lineup, you got Cameron Parker coming off the bench as kind of like the point guard that gets the whole offense kind of rolling. It, It seems like they're starting to get the rotations figured out. But the biggest question mark that is going to remain with this team is who can you rely on night in and night out? to be the guy, to give you the production. Because in my opinion, they have a lot of good players, but all of them right now are kind of like number twos and number threes. Like they sure. don't have necessarily that one alpha, that one go-to guy. Yeah, And they're gonna have to have that guy emerge, in my opinion, to become a championship level team.
0: Well, who's the leading candidate for that? Because I have an idea on two guys that I think it is, but who do you think is, is it the, one one or two of the of the guys that could be that guy?
1: Well, I think right now, I think I think Josh Bannon's yep. kind of emerging as that guy. The issue, though, is he's not a guard. So the ball's not right. going to be in his... Um, but to me, I mean, Josh Bannon's kind of being one of those guys. But and then we're seeing, you know, Robbie Beasley's kind right. of stepping up as far as, like, a scoring type of guy. But the ball's going to be in Cameron Parker's hands a lot. So it's just going to be very interesting. But I think if, if, if Beasley ends up being the guy of, like, when we need a tough shot, we're going to kind of look his way, you know? Um, and then, I don't know. I think it's between um, right now as far as, like, who's going to get you a shot late, um, I think you, you go, you know, Beasley and Bannon are kind of rolling really well right now. And But you got to keep the ball in Cameron Parker's hands, too, because he just makes so many things happen, like finding on uh, a Martin, you know, very late in the shot clock for the game-winning bucket.
0: Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Sports Director, joining us here on ESPN Radio. Nuana is now 102.9 FM, as well as SWX Montana TV, around the great state of Montana. And that's that's right. I I was glad you said that, because those are the two guys that I kind of had in mind as well, Sean. But let's talk about football. You're about to get on a bird tomorrow to fly to Texas, and I hope we all get there. I think think we will, and uh, I'm having good optimism about it just to try to put that energy in the universe. But I'm here nor there. This run by Montana State uh, has been an unforgettable one, one of the great runs in their program's history. And uh, it's accentuated by the fact that they lost the rivalry game back in November to Montana. And uh, there's always been the age-old question, because the CAC game is so fierce, because the rivalry is so fierce, would you rather beat the Grizz or the Cats depending on which side you're on or win the national championship? It's never been a real question. It's always been a hypothetical because we've never had the situation. Uh, but now here we are one step away and Montana State can do it. I know that's not what it's all about. It's not necessarily about that dynamic, but I think the question itself is so interesting. So what have you thought of just the way that the Cats have rebounded after that loss in Missoula? And what have you thought of this run Montana State's on that's taking us all now down to Frisco,
1: Texas? Yeah, it's been certainly a uh, a wild ride. I, I mean, I think you definitely. If you're if you're playing for a national championship, I think every Montana State fan will say, "Hey, we'll uh, we'll take this over right. over the brawl game." Um, but it, it, it has been. I mean, it's been magical. It's been a, an awesome run, and just kind of how it all came about, like you mentioned, just getting kind of smoked by the grizz in Missoula, switch quarterbacks up, Montana kid, you Like to me, like that's kinda of like what just gives the whole aura of this. Like if Tommy Millot was from Oregon, would there be as much like I don't think there'd be it just wouldn't be the same. There wouldn't be like the, sure. the same amount of buzz, same amount of thing. Like the fact that he's a freshman from Butte, I don't know. That's just if you can almost pick any talent, like that just makes this whole thing that much more special in my opinion.
0: It's, it's so true and, and the fact that so much of the history of football in general in the state of Montana is steeped in and, and comes from Butte and the fact that, you know, I mean the greatest Bobcat of all time is Sonny Holland and, and where is he from? Butte, and you know the statue out front of the stadium, like Tommy Molat goes and touches the Sonny Holland statue before every game. I mean, it's too good to be true, man. The the, the fabric of the Montana storylines is is epic, and I think it's uh, definitely going to be a fun one on Saturday. But it's also bit of just a, a fun and, and sort of magical run to watch so far. Completely unlikely for a true freshman to come off the bench and and win at the level that uh, Tommy Molat has. But one of the dynamics just from a, a matchup standpoint that I find fascinating, Sean, is that it used to be you'd roll right into the championship game just at the end of the playoffs, and it used to be in mid-December, but now you got this three-week break, and part of that is just to make sure that everybody's healthy and, and both sides have their full squads available, and that will definitely help the Cats in uh, hopefully getting guys like Ty Okada and Isaiah Fonse back in the fold, maybe Chase Benson. But on the other hand... NDSU has, has managed this sort of schedule pretty much every year for the last decade. They're all pros at it. And you give NDSU three weeks to prepare for Tommy Molot and can it carry the momentum because I think that's been one of the key factors of the Cats surging like they have is the momentum they've been able to carry each week. So what do you think of that dynamic of this matchup?
1: Yeah, I, I think that it largely favors North Coast State just because It is such a unique thing. It's just way different than... From the beginning of the year till now, you're living on a week-to-week basis, and everything is planned out week-to-week, and you just go through your rhythm and everything like that. And now that it's completely different, and when you have one team that expects to be there, this is nothing different. They haven't been celebrating the last few weeks. It's kind of business as usual. It is what it is. It's human nature to enjoy this moment kind of live in the moment for the fans but also the players like this is all this is this was not necessarily expected it's not something that they've been through before so to me can they flip that switch of not just kind of resting on your laurels and being satisfied that you made it to this position and i know the players are never, you know, they're sounds like they're going to not try as hard or things like that. But just as human beings, it's just kind of a, it's just a part of us to kind of, in, in, you know, enjoy the moments and be happy with even getting there. And how do they respond to that stage when North Dakota State has been there, done that? They're used to it. To me, that that just is a big advantage for the Bison.
0: Well, for sure, and, and so often uh, – and Sam Herter said this on the show. Uh, late, I guess that's actually coming up later on this week, but I recorded with Sam. But it's an interesting dynamic, too, because that's been the formula for NDSU, both in, in the scope of their seasons, but also so often in Frisco. They are used to the venue. They are going to have a sizable number of fans there. And basically, like the last time I was down in Frisco to cover Eastern Washington against NDSU – NDSU punched Eastern straight in the mouth, and they were up 17-3. to three. And the rest of the game was pretty even, and Eric Berry kept Eastern kind of in it, and they ended up losing that game by, I think, it's, I think they lost by 17. But they were, that 14-point deficit that they had early just remained, and, and North Dakota State could just kind of sit on it and, and just cruise their way to victory. So I do, I think that that's another element because North Dakota State, part of their success, no matter where they're playing, has been getting the lead early and, and then being able to squeeze teams out. But it's particularly true in Frisco when the the other team maybe isn't as familiar with the venue.
1: No doubt. And I think especially this Montana State team, just the way both these teams are constructed, I think Montana State has to start out fast. I think North Coast State obviously is never going to be out of it, even if Montana State jumps up early a little bit. But I think the biggest fear, especially if you're a Montana State fan, is if North Coast State jumps on you early and then they just rely on their defense and their running game and kind of, like you said, just kind of like bleeds you out. Um, to me, the matchup. I know everyone's going to talk about both these teams play a lot of defense. Both these teams yeah. run the ball, yep. and whoever can win in the trenches. I I think the, the I think the key matchup is how North Dakota State defends the deep ball on the sidelines, particularly with Lance McCutcheon one on one, on the other side. To me, that is the the, yep. the key because what is the one game all year where that was taken away from Montana State? It was the Montana game. They had Justin Ford travel with Lance McCutcheon. They they took away that deep ball on the sideline, and then you didn't have that explosive play to play off of everything else that you do. And to me, that is the biggest question mark in this game. And I mean, heck, if you watch North Dakota State and some of their corners and some of the way that they played the ball against James Madison, (laughs) um, I think these guys are going to be up for the task. So to me, that's going to be the biggest challenge for Montana State. Can they win those one-on-one deep shots? down the sidelines when uh, when they've been living off that all year minus the one game that they lost to an SES opponent.
0: Well, it's so crazy, too, because Sean Rainey, SWX Montana Television, joining us here on New Ones Now, ESPN Radio. And it's so crazy, too, because during this run, since North Coast State won their first national title in 2011, they've lost 12 games in that entire span. And you take away the three losses they had in the spring season, they only lost nine games in ten years. So you can basically count those losses on two hands. Five of them were to South Dakota State, so there's half of them right there out the window as well. So they only had four losses to anybody else besides South Dakota State that weren't in the spring. That's wild to think about over the span of a 10-year ten, ten uh, time period. One of those losses, though, was in Missoula to Montana, and the Grizz, you know, we were there to watch the Grizz win that game. And what was the vulnerability of North Dakota State in that game, too? The deep balls up the sidelines. Brady Gustafson threw for 450 yards that day. Ellis Anderson, Jamal Jones—they both had heydays. I know that that was years ago, so there's you know it's a different coaching staff, different players, all that stuff. But it is the one thing that North Coast State has been vulnerable to as well. So I totally agree. I think that the the matchups are: can they take away McCutcheon up the seam, down the sideline, and also they're going to have a plan for tackling a lot, especially when it comes to the quarterback run game. Then how does he adjust? How does he react? How do you know he's going to get hit as much as ever? They're going to have a spy on him or whatever they decide to do to slow him down. But also, then how does Tommy react? Can he carry the momentum from the hot streak on, or is is it uh, does he come back down to earth? I don't know, but I think I, I totally agree with you, though. I don't think it is the trenches or the defenses. I do think that is the actual primary matchup in this game.
1: Yeah, I really do, and, and you have to imagine. If Montana State is going to win this game, it's it's going to be because Talia Lot is able to make a lot of plays with his arm too. Like because you mentioned it, like North Dakota State, you get three weeks to prepare. I would be I would be just absolutely shocked and bewildered if they let sixteen beat him with their with his legs and they don't right. make him you know force force it with his with his arm, which he can not do. I, I covered this guy in Butte. like this guy can can swing the rock. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But we just haven't necessarily seen it a ton as far as slants or deep outs or like crucial like third and tens, that kind of stuff, because they've been able to run the ball effectively and then have those deep shots, those those big time plays. But if that if those big time plays are taken away, can he make the 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 tight window throws, especially on like third and six, third and seven, third and eight, things like that, to move the chains against a really good against the number one defense in the country. That to me is going to be fascinating to watch. And then on the other side of the ball, obviously you got to got to stop Love Key, that big time running back. But I'm also fascinated to see if Christian Watson plays because I think he is an absolute. Difference maker for that offense this, this North Coast State offense Not as explosive, not as good as Some of the offenses in the past yeah. Christian Watson though does add a, uh, That special big time Playmaking ability to this game So that's going to be fascinating to see if he plays or not
0: Well that's the, the other dynamic I find fascinating about NDSU because I think this team Is a true testament to their system And their program And their discipline Because Christian Watson, he's a big time guy He's a prime time guy for sure And uh, they definitely have a couple other standout guys, but they don't have Carson Wentz or Easton Stick or Trey Lance. They don't have... You know, a Darius Shepard or a Kyle Emanuel or a you know, Greg Menard or, you know, Robbie Grimsley, all these great guys that went on to the NFL. I think they probably have a couple of guys that are in a couple of years after continued development to be at that level, but this is this is definitely the least amount of headliners this NDSU program has had, probably since Brett Vegan was back there uh, at North Dakota State, you know, almost 10 years ago. So it's definitely a fascinating one. What do you think of that dynamic? The fact that the vegan has been to Frisco before and he's, he's done this, this whole Song and dance before, but it's been several years. Is that a factor in this for preparation for the Bobcats?
1: I think it does. Um, I think it's. I mean, it can't hurt, right? I mean, it definitely helps. It's just whether or not how how that message can be relayed effectively. And I think that it, it definitely helps as far as how he can communicate with his staff and how they can schedule out everything. During these these three weeks, you know, because they've gone through it in North Coast, so they know what works and what doesn't. As far as how much time do we give them off? Like when do we have them back? Like this and that, you know, they they know. Like if we give them five days for the holiday, well, they come back and they're kind of out of shape, and then it takes two practices for them to kind of get back into the groove. So we only did four, and that worked a lot better. Like those are all cases you kind of work out when you've done this a lot, and so I think that that aspect of it. Will will definitely help. It's just more. Just you cannot, you cannot teach. And no matter how much you say it, you can't. You can't teach the experience and just and just being there and knowing how to handle it. And so that's the one, the thing that he cannot relay to players. But I think it definitely helps as far as scheduling and staff and just knowing what
0: works, what doesn't, as far as that aspect goes. John yeah. Rainey, SWX Montana Television, joining us here on ESPN Radio. And, uh, Sean, I know you're making your way down to Texas, so I know you got some last-minute packing to do. We'll let you go, but we look forward very much to seeing you down in Lone Star State, and the best of luck with the rest of your week. But people know, because you guys got a lot of stuff coming up, a lot of coverage uh, out in Frisco uh, on ABC Fox as well as SWX Montana. So tell people just how they can find all, all the great stuff that you and Alex Sherman will going be doing this upcoming week.
1: Yeah, we're doing a, we're doing a lot. Um, Montana Right Now and swxrightnow.com, we're actually adding a, a noon and a 3 o'clock webcast. So we're going to basically just do a, like a sportscast at noon and at 3 every single day this week because we're doing a, a ton of stuff. So you can go online, check that out, check out every, everything that we do is going to be posted online as well. Um, I'm going to be kind of diving into, hey, where does this North Dakota Dynasty rank among the best dynasties in all sports. Also, what is this game? What would it mean for the Big Sky Conference to win a national title? Talk to some of the people with the Big Sky Conference. Kind of just some big picture things to this game as well because we're all going to be diving into the X's and O's, we're trying to do that as well. we also have a lot of cool, just in-depth stories that we're going to be doing throughout the whole week, so just, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Follow Coulter, follow myself, and you'll be covered radio and TV-wise.
0: Sean Rainey, SWX Montana. See you down there, buddy. See you, man. There you go. John Rainey, SWX Montana, which we happen to be on. Sorry for some of the the, uh, scuffle there. Always an experiment in radio, uh, live and recorded. Um, But I just learned something there. I think Sean was wearing his AirPods, and sometimes when uh, that's the microphone, so when it it rubs, you hear it. Uh, Look behind the curtain, you know. We're all about transparency and accuracy around here. Appreciate you being with us. I'm Colter Nuanas, it is Nuanas now. What are some of the things I learned over Christmas break? What does DMX and Kenny G have in common? And what lesson can we all take from the King, John Madden. Keep it right here. See us been radio.
1: and Missoula Sports Center.
0: With the national championship football game on the horizon, the rivalry doubleheader for hoops has been pushed back a day. Happy New Year. I'm Colter Nuanez. Montana State plays in the FCS national title game for the first time since 1984 in Frisco, Texas on Saturday. Because of that historic afternoon, the basketball doubleheader between Montana and Montana State originally scheduled for Saturday in Bozeman has been moved to Sunday. Lady Grizz and the Montana State women, each who got swept this past weekend, will look to bounce back with a Sunday matinee at 1 p.m. The men's teams will square off at 5 5 p.m. Sunday from Brick Breeden Fieldhouse. The North Dakota State-Montana State National Championship football game kicks off at 10 a.m. from Toyota Stadium in Frisco on Saturday. MSU also rescheduled its annual Bobcat Hall of Fame induction ceremony to be celebrated at a later date. Over the weekend, Division I women's teams from the Treasure State hit a rough batch. Lady Grizz started the season 9-2, but they lost 68-61 at Idaho State Thursday and 66-56 at Weber State Saturday. The defending Big Sky champion Bengals of ISU beat Montana State 6 67-57 on Saturday, two days after the Bobcats fell 68-63 at Weber State. The Montana men had an outstanding weekend, blasting Idaho State 78-54 before outlasting Weber State 74-72. Montana State lost 85-75 to Weber Thursday, but bounced back for a 60-40 win over Idaho State on Saturday. This ESPN Missoula Sports Center is brought to you by Selway Armory.
2: When that sun is high in that Texas sky, I'll be bucking it to county fair, Amarillo by morning, Amarillo, I'll be there. They took my saddle in
1: here, street. broke my
0: leg in the Santa Fe. Well, George, straight for you on a Tuesday. Hope you're enjoying yourself. I sure as heck am. Yeah. Hope well, we you have a great week. It's Nuana's Now, ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Play a lot of country, playing a lot of songs with some Texas themes because I'm going back to Texas for the second time in a month here on Saturday. I guess I'm leaving on, uh, on Friday. But uh, FCS Championship game, Toyota Stadium, 11 o'clock Central Time, 10 a.m. Montana Time. Montana State taking on North Dakota State. The Bison. Gunning for a ninth national title in the last 10 years. MSU into the national title game for the first time since 1984. Looking for their first title since that magical season 37 years ago. This has been a pretty magical one as well. I was uh, off for the last couple weeks, and uh, it was good. It was fun spending time with family and recharging and all that. I'm not much of one to really love the full recharge. I I like it for a day or two, but uh, then I get sort of bored and uh you know i mean my job is just so fun you know like today i've been at it since 8 a.m and i've been talking on the phone since 9 a.m and all i've been doing is talking on the phone (laughs) to a bunch of people i like and a bunch of people i love working with so um cannot complain at all but one thing i i do enjoy doing when i am doing a, a little bit of a recharge is is trying to stimulate my brain learning about uh the certain elements of our of our of our world, our our culture, our society. I'm a big pop culture guy, so I play so much uh, music on this show. I think probably one of the biggest influences my parents had on my life uh, was that that uh, constant knowledge and, and uh, discussion. Especially my mom; she's really into pop culture. She's definitely uh, up on the the happenings and always has been. And uh, so, I've always found those sort of things. Fascinating, you know the rise to the f- to fame and 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 true talent, and uh, particularly when it comes to music and sports. And that's why I'm sitting in this chair right now and and coming to you live on ESPN Radio. But uh, if you've been paying attention, one of the guys I really look up to in the media world is Bill Simmons. I think Bill Simmons is is sort of the godfather of of new age media, and uh, he himself, like his podcast personality or whatever, I, I sometimes find a little bit annoying. And I I, I certainly listen to a good majority of the podcast Bill Simmons has put out. And part of that's just because he has such great content in the people that he brings on. And he is one of the best in the business at the NBA for sure. And, uh, he's really good and has been on the forefront of sports gambling as well. Um, but some of like his, his NFL takes and stuff sort of, they tire me out, but I, I still listen to him all the time, but, but it's more the, the, the new age media, like the way that the ringer, the first grant line and then the ringer have, have sort of been this impactful and, um, Sort of disrupting entities uh, to traditional media, and uh, Bill Simmons is just so um, confident, uh, but he's also so good in his ability to produce a breadth of content and be so creative. One of Bill Simmons's new projects is Music Box, which is a the first season I believe was seven uh, episodes long, and it's on HBO. And they, they um, did distinctly different and, and but also very interesting documentaries on, on a variety of things. Um, one of the, the music boxes was about Alanis. It's all about musicians, but one was about Alanis Morissette. It's called Jagged. It's all about Jagged Little Pill, the release of uh, her 1996 debut album, which was uh, to this day one of the greatest selling albums by a female solo artist in the history of music and certainly uh, an album that, Is is a feminist anthem in a lot of ways, Um, you know, a precursor to a lot of the the uh, pop music that would come after it. Uh, But also, Elastmore set sort of spearheaded Lilith Fair and this rise in rock and roll for women, and and it's it's a fascinating documentary. But the two that I watched over the break was one about Dmx, and they decided to do a documentary on Dmx as he was trying to make his uh, return to uh, the music scene. Uh, he, was, he was getting ready for his uh, return tour, and so they documented him the last year of what ended up being the last year of his life. Uh, there was obviously no way that they had any premonition that he was going to die when they started making the documentary. Um, he had just been released from prison, uh, but within the course of the documentary, he relapsed and he started smoking crack cocaine again and and doing uh, meth. And not to go down that element of it, because the guy uh, had so many demons, but so many of those demons were associated with uh, both his upbringing and his uh, his profound rise to fame, given where he came from. And uh, you know, also, there, there's a certain element of, of demons and genius being associated with each other and sort of the dance that we we do. Uh, particularly people that are, are so creative. And I think that's why we see so many uh, tortured souls gravitate towards music. And when they bear their soul in their music, oftentimes that intimacy and that uh, familiarity and that vulnerability is is what we love about them, what gravi- what, what resonates with us, what, what we grasp onto, uh, sort of the soundtrack of our lives. And it was just fascinating watching DMX because uh, I'm not sure if I told the story or not, but I grew up in Missoula and I went to Hellgate Elementary. And when you're in middle school at Hellgate— uh, I don't know if they still do this, but for years and years, your art class, your eighth grade art, you make a tile, and your tile could be whatever you want it to be—any sort of symbol or any sort of piece of art or any sort of uh, you know drawing or painting or anything that represents you uh, as a fourteen-year-old, you know, as an eighth grader. And uh, in my fourteen-year-old year, my eighth-grade year, I thought I was pretty cool, and uh, I had an older neighbor who could go to the Sam Goody at the mall and, and buy me some. Uh, CDs that were maybe parental advisory, maybe CDs that my parents wouldn't want me uh, listening to or that uh, they certainly wouldn't have bought me at that age. And so I had a lot of access to a lot of rap music, even hardcore rap music like DMX. And DMX dropped three albums between that summer after my 7th grade year and the summer after my 8th grade year. It's one of the great runs in rap music. And DMX had, count them, five albums debut at number one on the Billboard Hot 200, the, the Billboard Top 200 album charts No one, not the Beatles, not Elvis, not Madonna, not Janet Jackson, not Michael Jackson, nobody has ever had five consecutive albums debut at number one except one guy, Earl Simmons, DMX. And so that moment in time, the fact that he was the hottest artist on the planet, and they started doing uh, movies, he was in Romeo Must Die and Cradle to Grave, and he's in these Jet Li movies, this guy became an international superstar and uh, he's also a very counterculture guy who, who was not necessarily uh, very keen or, or even willing to pay taxes, and that's why he was in and out of prison uh, for most of his uh, of the last 20 years. Um, but it was just interesting to see this man who, at the same time, is this hardened and edgy guy who's been in prison multiple times, and, and he sings anthems of the streets. But just to see how vulnerable and kind he was and how good of a father he was and um, – also just the, the way that the music was within him and how he would have these out-of-body experiences when performing music. He would hear his own songs and sort of uh, d- turn into this completely different person as he was basically singing along to songs that he had wrote. And it was just so interesting to see him. And well, so then the next day, I checked out another one of the music boxes, and it was about Kenny G. And for those that uh, don't know, Kenny G was... Um, among the most, uh, I'm not going to say popular, but most well-listened to artists of the 80s and early 1990s, KG is known worldwide as the top-selling instrumentalist of all time. He sold more than 75 million records uh, from malls to doctor's offices to dentist's offices to you know your local supermarket to... All over the entire country of China, I didn't realize this, Going Home, one of the most famous Kenny G songs, that's played in almost every commercial establishment all the way across the country of China at 5 o'clock when it's time to go home. And so it's getting listened to by quite literally billions of people every single weekday. And and that's all to say, though, that Kenny G had this, uh, this completely unique spot in the music world because his music, I think... The layman would define it as jazz, but it's not. And the cynic, the jazz aficionado would define it as pop, but it's also not. The fact that there's no singing made the albums so much more consumable because you're not changing to the track that you like that's the lyrics. You just put the Kenny G album on, whether it's the Christmas album or the, the smooth jazz album or whatever. And that's why he sold so many records and he resonated with so many people. But he also became widely the most disrespected and widely hated musician amongst his peers. And in this documentary, the only spoiler alert I'll give you is a music critic for the New York Times described it with such a wonderful sports analogy. He said, imagine a world in which conventional basketball, the NBA as we know it, exists but is in no way popular. And guys like LeBron James and, and um, you know, whoever else, Zion Williamson and Anthony Davis and, and, you know, Luka Doncic, let's say all these guys play in the NBA and people know the NBA exists and they know basketball exists, but no one's into it. They don't think it's that cool or, or, uh, that consumable. It's a very niche thing. And then imagine that the Harlem Globetrotters came along and everybody loved the Harlem Globetrotters. And they thought that was the best version of basketball. And they thought those guys were the best basketball players in the world. That is what Kenny G was to real jazz musicians. People think of him as a jazz musician when he's not, but because they do, the jazz community resoundingly hates him. He also had this infamous moment where he did a, a post-humanist cover of What a Wonderful World with Louis Armstrong, where he played his own saxophone and he played Satch, you know, the one of the great jazz guys of all time, Louis Armstrong, over the top, singing the lyrics. he got crucified in the music community for that and so i just thought it was such an interesting documentary because it's not about kenny g and any sort of devious action kenny g wanted kenny g is in the documentary and he's interviewed the whole time and he basically says i'm just a weird guy from seattle who likes to play the saxophone i don't even know what genre my music is i'm not trying to do anything besides make music that i think sounds good and if people want to buy it awesome if they don't i'm going to keep making it but then he just became this villain of sorts, and it's just such a, an interesting dichotomy and dynamic when it comes to just analyzing America and pop culture. And then that led me to, watching this documentary, all about the history of late-night television in America and the impactful nature and um, almost um, all-consuming nature of what, what The Tonight Show used to be. You know, so, I mean, tens of, excuse me, tens of millions of people used to watch Johnny Carson, and he was one of the most famous people in America. And, you know, just who was going to replace Johnny? And then, the, you know, the late-night wars between Letterman and Leno, those that was such a huge part of pop culture. I know people still watch Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kibble and, and Stephen Colbert, but nowhere near what it was when it was Ed McMahon saying, here's Johnny, or Jay Leno and David Letterman going at it for the late-night ratings. And so I thought that was just a fascinating arc through uh, the history of America. And then the last documentary I watched was all Madden, all about John Madden, and uh, just the man he was, the way he walked away from the game of football, walked away from the NFL at, at uh, only 42 years old, and always wanted to be identified as a coach and, and, and was for his work as an analyst and his work as a commentator and his work as a guy that helped bring the details of football to everybody's household with his video game, um, Madden Football. And that led me to read the article by Peter King, Holiday of a bus, man. I know we're up against it, but I would encourage everybody to read that article. Peter King rides the bus across America with John Madden. John Madden was famous for not flying, ever. He, he didn't take a plane after 1982. He used to take a bus coast to coast. And Peter King writes the story uh, of what it's like, riding the bus across the country with John Madden. So what do we learn from John Madden and that article? I'll tell you that to close out your Tuesday here on Nuanna's Now. Keep it right here. CSPN Radio.
1: Now on 102.9 ESPN, Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television.
0: Old school bubber music for you. This is Tutel Nuanes days, but you're listening to Nuanez now. Welcome back. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. Just a couple minutes left in today's show. Got a fun show lined up for you tomorrow. A couple pending guests because we got a lot of people that we want to talk to that are traveling to Frisco, Texas, or I guess Dallas, Texas, tomorrow. But we will for sure tomorrow hear from Alex Eschelman uh, of SWX Montana as well as um, Sam Herder from Hero Sports. So look forward to that. Uh, Brief piece of news, the Big Sky Conference did announce today they've adjusted their policy to allow both men's and women's basketball teams that have games postponed to then reschedule. There was a a debate on whether they were going to be canceled and how that would affect the standings. Are they forfeits? Are they no contests? Well, now you have an opportunity to reschedule. So we'll see how that impacts uh, the scheduling going forward. It's time now for the final word presented by Eagle Satellite. Have you heard about the great prices and TV at Eagle Satellite? They have TV packages starting at just fifty seven ninety nine a month with free installation and internet for just 50 bucks a month. Eagle Satellite is locally owned and operated. They've been serving Montana for more than 40 years. I also happen to know that the new owners of Eagle Satellite, at least uh, one of them, is a big Vikings fan, so appreciate uh, any, any Vikings. Although, I don't know, I might be a free agent. I might be gr- gravitating towards... The 49ers or somebody soon. I don't know. I I can't do that, though. I, I got to. So one last thing I got. One last fandom I got lingering from childhood. Appreciate everybody being here. We'll be back at it tomorrow. you want to find anything in the show, you can find it on the podcast. I also told you what I would tell you we should learn from John Madden. I think it's three things. One, smell the flowers. Two, embrace the happiness that exists in the world. And three, the world's a pretty good place. People are pretty darn nice no matter where you go. See you tomorrow, 4 o'clock.